Alrighty, everybody, welcome back. It is myself again, Tavis Killian, here with another episode of Monday Madness, and today, October the 5th, finally October. According to this obscure website I found, known as Yahoo.com, that makes it Pizza Appreciation Month, which you know I will be observing, despite my crippling lactose intolerance. Halloween is also coming up, of course, but I wonder how that's going to work with COVID this year. I imagine many kids won't exactly be allowed to approach strangers for candy, and costume parties are likely a big no-no in some areas, so I wonder how much candy and costume companies will be affected financially. Either way, it's starting to cool off, trees are changing, and it's just a nice part of the year. I might even go as far to say that it's my favorite season, but that is besides the point. I know you didn't come here to listen to how much I love pizza in fall. You came here for cold hard statistics paired with slightly less hard and potentially biased news stories, so let's jump right in. Starting out strong with WTI pricing, a little bit of a roller coaster ride with prices these past few days, and many people claim there's a correlation with Trump's condition. On October 1st, after it was announced that he had COVID, prices fell drastically to as low as $36.63. Today, prices climbed overnight to about $39.54 as I report this because, well, Trump's condition is supposedly improving. Such sensitive markets, I tell you, anything will throw it out of whack. But moving on to rig count, we are up five last week. We are making great progress, but I do wonder how long that will be the case. I feel like even if it will be delayed, rig count will decrease soon in response to the few times that prices dipped below $40 in recent times. A pessimistic view for sure, but I am glad to see this temporary uptick. As for domestic inventories, moving forward, we will be using EIA data rather than the API just for the most accurate reporting we can possibly get you. And the drawdown between 918 and 925, drumroll please. 2 million barrels drawdown, which is good news. Love to see the inventories shrink. But let's get into some recent news developments, starting off with Iraq. So, Iraq has been the least compliant with OPEC cuts since they were enacted earlier this year. And the data from the end of September shows that they may hold that title for just a little while longer. At the end of August, Iraq averaged 2.6 million barrels per day in exports alone, but by the end of September, that number was up by about 20,000 barrels per day for a total of 78 million barrels for the month. At an average price of $40.40 per barrel, the ministry reported that it received the equivalent of 3.17 billion U.S. dollars from exports in September. While this is good news for their economy, it is bad news for their relations with the rest of OPEC, especially since Iraq is the second largest producer. When Saudi Arabia and others called out against the production, Iraq promised to cut about 400,000 barrels per day for August. They did reduce the exports, but only by about 166,000 barrels a day, or less than half of what they promised. Through September, exports actually increased, even though months of promises would have led you to think otherwise. Makes you wonder just how much they are producing if they export that much on a daily basis, how much they're building in inventory. Also, I am truly surprised that other OPEC members have mostly remained compliant. How much longer until enough is enough and other people start slacking and putting money in their own pockets? Perhaps it's a selfish American perspective, but I would be upset if I was a complying member and Iraq got away with taking advantage of my limited production. I doubt it is enough to cause major conflict, but you mess with people's income, especially their primary source, for long enough and things start to get heated. Now, for the next story, I'm sure you are all familiar with BP's move to become an integrated energy company, and it seems that others are beginning to follow. 
Total, a super major out of France, has taken to BP's strategy and recently purchased London's largest car charging network. EV infrastructure could be a good place to invest for an oil and gas company, so maybe Total actually knows what they're doing. At this point, any actual outcome would be better than the lip service that BP has provided because most of the projects actually stalled until the end of 2019, and certainly not a lot has happened outside of their own speculation and reports through 2020. Anywho, Bluepoint London was the largest charging network in the area. That was up until it got bought by Total. So this pairs nicely considering Total has secured contracts in Belgium and the Netherlands for installing charge points. And if that wasn't enough to convince you that this is one of the smarter integrated energy company moves, then consider the sheer amount of influence they have over gas, well, shall I say, petrol stations across the country. If Total can do a decent job with their current contracts, and then eventually demonstrate that they are one of the best equipped energy companies in the area to transform and update infrastructure in the favor of EVs, well, that's a good setup. It starts with a few charging stations at each filling station, and over the course of an entire lifetime, or maybe even past my lifetime, hopefully, Total has poised itself to be a reliable and strong developer of these charging stations. Now, I think that's some great foresight on Total's part, and I hope it works out to supplement some of their oil and gas revenue moving forward. So good on them for making a move and not just talking about it. I hope it pays off. Also, in the past few months, we've talked about orphaned and abandoned wells a few times on the podcast. You know, the wells that a company decided wasn't exactly profitable and maybe left it before it was plugged and abandoned, whether that was before laws actually required them to front the cost for plugging and abandoning, or if they maybe just left it undocumented and left it in the ground. Well, today, not too much money has been allocated for cleanups because they do need a lot, and more and more orphan wells are spurring up every day. A recent report from Carbon Tracker estimated that about $280 billion would be necessary to plug 2.6 million onshore oil and gas wells, while simultaneously estimating that there may be around 1.2 million undocumented and abandoned wells. This report highlighted the fact that bonds put up from wells only cover around 1% of closure costs. Carbon Tracker stated, quote, States can lower their orphan well liability risk and protect taxpayers by demanding higher bond rates and forcing companies to plug long inactive wells. These actions will shift responsibility for oil field cleanup costs to industry and also position states to qualify for U.S. federal aid. End quote. Now, I gotta say, that plan is fine and dandy, but I'd like to put you through a little thought exercise. So close your eyes, and unless you're listening to this while driving, obviously, and then imagine you are the CEO of a super major. Now I, the federal government, reaches out to you and says, you're responsible for $30 billion worth of cleanup among your abandoned domestic wells, and we want it done in about 10 years. What do you say, yes or no? I mean, go ahead, say your answer out loud. Now, if you said no, that makes a whole lot of sense as it is arguably uneconomic to foot that bill, even if you adjust my numbers, which I felt were pretty reasonable in terms of a 10-year time frame and making you a super major in charge of, well, about 10% of what was revealed, not including the undocumented wells. But if you said yes, I hope you become a successful and profitable oil baron someday because you are a whole hell of a lot more generous than most, especially considering current barrel pricing. Carbon Tracker highlights a highly logical plan, but nobody, either oil industry or taxpayers, will want to put the money towards the $300 billion that they predict is required to deal with this problem. 
I can't predict what will happen or propose any other better solutions, but I know that nobody is capable of footing that bill, and it holds some scary implications for the future of the industry. But that is our third and last story for this week. I'm sorry, nothing too crazy happening, but hey, maybe we keep it that way. Lots of trades, some acquisitions, some mergers. Turbulent times, as I'm sure you know, and if you feel like, hey, what is he talking about? Make sure you go to rarepetro.com for way more resources. We've got all of our podcasts up there. Kevin writes a killer periodical. And also, go ahead and check out the YouTube channel. We've started rolling out a new series, The Modern Mobile Oil Field, and it only gets better as we record more. I know the first episode leaves me looking a bit evil and malicious, but make sure you check that out. Gets better lighting in the second episode, and I think things get better all around. So, again, thank you for joining us. Go to rarepetro.com, find any of us on LinkedIn to learn more. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Bye.